Welcome back, my friends. It's a wonderful opportunity that we have to get back into the Word of God and to look at our series, What It Means to Be a Christian. What an exciting topic, and that is the Bible. That's our life. We are Christians. What does that mean? Taking uh, the book of Ephesians, going verse by verse, and I hope that you've uh, had time to look at a few things that we have said in the past and gone over and and I just welcome the opportunity today, and I, again, welcome you back. It's an exciting time. Before we get into, actually, into Chapter 2, starting today, I just wanted to freely talk to you, again, as kind of a recap, and, and to get us refreshed, and to get us exciting again about what we're looking at, the Christian life. Um, again, as we have said so many times, is not a creed, it's not a set of principles, it's not the church we attend to, it's not a sect of people that we, you know, think that we should be or what have you. But again, like we said, the Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. We are in Christ, that is our life, and that is the Christian life. And when we see the Christian life from the biblical point of view, from the divine point of view, or as watchmen need used to call it the normal Christian life, we see it as a lot different than what is being taught from the majority of pulpits today. You know, Christianity has has taken a blow for hundreds and hundreds of years, but it is in the last times here that that the enemy is being more subtle. He's starting to come within and, uh, and twist the doctrines, twist the understanding of what being a Christian is really all about. And uh, before we get into, again, our study today, I would like to look at a passage I think that would be very helpful uh, as we continue to look at it. And you all know it, but let's look at it afresh this morning. It's uh, Galatians, just the book before, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This verse, this verse can hold go the whole gamut of the New Testament. Let's look at it closely. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is absolute identification. I have been crucified with Christ. The believer comes to comes to Christ. God sees him dead in Christ, buried, his sins are gone, and he sees him risen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the Son of Man. In fact, he calls himself the Son of Man, I believe, over 80 times in the New Testament. And yet, why is he the Son of Man? He's our representative. He's our representative before God. He lived that perfect life that we could not live. And yet he paid the ultimate sacrifice that no one else could pay but himself for our sins. And he rose three days later from the dead in the body he was crucified in, declaring to the world that redemption is complete for all who would come to God through him, for all who would receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let's read that again. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. Remember, the Christian life is Christ himself. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How is it that I'm reconciled to God? The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved me and gave himself for me. And three days later, he rose from the dead. As proof, not only that our sins are gone for those that would receive him as their Savior, but also proof that God is pleased with the sacrifice that Christ laid down on our behalf. It's identification. We are in Jesus Christ. We've passed from death into life because of Christ. As Christ died on the cross, we died with him, as God would, would see us from his divine point of view. And that he was dead and he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. And those, the Bible says, that have been baptized into his death, they are also associated with him in his resurrection. How do I know that I will be in heaven? Simply put, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I know because my Lord is there as my representative. So that produces what? That produces power. Power in the life. The, the Christian life is power. It's living. Let me read a few things to you as we, uh, before we get into our study. And I, I think this is so exciting, and I hope you find it exciting too. Brethren, we have so much to talk about. It's just a little bit of space of time. But remember back in Ephesians 1, uh, starting at verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Believe what? Well, race back over to verse 13 real quick. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having also believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Back in verse 19. What is exceeding power or the greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then it goes on to say how high that heavenly place is. Verse 21 is far above all principality, power, and might, dominion, name, that's name, in this age, and not only this age, but the one to come. So we know it's an eternal uh, standing that we have. It's an eternal uh, position we have in Christ. But yet it's that power, that same power as God raised his son, the father raised his son from the dead, it was the same power that was used in causing us to be born again, going from death into life. Brethren, that is power. You were saved because God did it himself. You were dead, as we'll see in trespasses and sin, and God raised us up in Christ. That's power. Let me read you just some real quick uh, that I just gathered up real quick, just some some scripture um, declaring the power. This is just a, a, a handful of them. There's so much more. Listen to these things. Paul says in Romans 1.4, And declared to be the Son of God with power, listen, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We've been raised with Christ in power. Paul says in Romans 1.16, again, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. This is wonderful. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. All right? As we are now in these earthen vessels, we have the, the, the power of a raised life. Listen, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And, and the last one I choose, chose was what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, as we talk about the, the Christian life, so many people try to live the Christian life with one of two things, either not realizing that the power is not of us but of God and that we would believe and understand what has really transpired. We've been regenerated. We've been made anew. And two, a lot of these people that don't have the Christian life in them, which is Christ himself, are trying to live that Christian life on their own. Brethren, that is impossible. Because the Christian life is power. It's a position, and it's walking in that position by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a powerful God. We have a God that doesn't refashion us, doesn't remake us. We have been born again. We've been made anew. We are new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new Creation. You feel that already? Just this understanding the word of God is, is powerful, and I love it. We're starting in our in our, our series. We started uh, a couple weeks ago. We started looking at the division of this wonderful letter to the Ephesians. Very simple division. Verses, or excuse me, chapter one, two, and three. Our rich position, our inheritance, and we're looking at that inheritance involves power. And yet, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, that walk, which also is in power, and it produces that holy life, our walk in that position. Which, by the way, also includes that sixth chapter on our warfare. So with that in mind, brethren, when when we look at at just the wonderful uh, calling and the wonderful position that we are in in Christ... Let's go on to chapter 2 and start getting into the meat. Uh, these next two chapters, 2 and 3, we'll start getting into some of the meat of that position. Uh, absolutely wonderful. God always works in Remen. He always has his body, and we are the body of Christ. There's a lot out there that call themselves Christian. There's a lot, you know, uh, the world is a great rip-off artist, so to speak. Satan, who's the prince of the power of the air, who controls the the uh, the doings of, of unregenerate mankind? He is the ultimate ripoff artist, and he will rip off uh, not only the name, the sacred name of Christian, but he will rip off what a Christian really is, and that's one of his subtle tactics, not only within but without the church, uh, that he will make one's feeling feel comfortable because of of a name or so. But he always wants to masquerade the real truth. 
So we want to look at what a Christian really is. Thus, we have this title, what it means to be a Christian. Look at chapter 2, uh, friends, we of Ephesians. If you're reading of the New King James or the King James, um, you read, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you're reading out of the New American Standard or the, the newer versions, uh, they have a different manuscript that reads, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. It's a fact. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the Benzantine text, or the received text, that is used by the New King James or the King James, simply adds in there, he made alive, or he quickened. Basically, what they're saying, and you has he made alive, or you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. He's basically uh, capulating, if you will, what he will say verses down and what, what this chapter is really all about. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead and separated from God, and Christ, through regeneration, the power of the Holy Spirit, the renewed man, the being born again or born from above, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's just a matter of of different uh, way that these manuscripts were translated. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let me just briefly talk about it's, it's, it is a wonderful concept, and when you understand what death means in the Bible, it doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean that once, once you're dead, you go on the ground and that's it. Excuse me, brethren. This whole concept of death, where you were dead in trespasses and sins, and we're in, again, the second chapter in the first verse. Death in the Bible is always separation. You know, you look back at Adam and Eve, and, and when uh, when they uh, disobeyed God by eating that you know that fr- that fruit, it was a test of obedience. And when they disobeyed God, what's the first thing we see that happened? Not only were uh, they afraid, but they hid. It separated them. They knew nothing but intimate fellowship with God, and because they had sinned, it separated, hid among the you know the trees, and because they were afraid. And it always death is separation from God. And as we've talked about before, death uh, is a separation from soul and spirit from the body when one dies. And if we're in sin and we do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, we have not been born again and we do not have him as our Savior, if we are dead in our sins beyond the grave, we are separated from God forever. Right now, we might be alive, though there's a lot of what I call walking dead people out there. They're alive, they carry on life, they go through this measly existence, they have temporal pleasures and whatever, but they're separated from God. They're separated in their sins. They're dead in their sins. And if that is prolonged beyond the death of the grave, my friends, that means separation from God forever. And as we've talked about many times in the past, over the past years, uh, for those that have that have, have listened and we've had fellowship with one another for a while, you know, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, the Bible says, he who knew no sin was made sin for you and I, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, when he was on the cross, Fulfilling Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
At that time, God unleashed his dam, his flood dam of, of wrath, and it leashed on Christ, who was bearing the sin of the world. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Christ was taking the punishment of the sins of the world, yours and mine, receiving that punishment that we deserve. And he was separated from his father for a time on the cross so that you and I would not have to suffer separation from God for eternity. Did you, did you get that concept? That is the richness of the gospel. That is when we, when back in chapter 1, when we hear the gospel and we believe it, we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, not only to the inheritance that we have, but unto Christ himself, the complete forgiveness of sins, sealed, done. Our inheritance with him forever, sealed, done. Our position with Christ in the heavenlies, sealed, done. We have passed from death into life, John 5, verse 24. So when we get to back to uh, our verse in Ephesians 2, Verse 1, in you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Look at verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know, that's a, an interesting verse because it describes how we lived. We walked according to the course of of this world. We lived in the principles of this world. We lived for gain. We lived for self. We were selfish. We were uh, adulterers, you know, in, in heart, you men especially. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust for, you've committed adultery all in your heart. We were greedful. We had the me first mentality. And we walked according to the course that was set by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This same spirit, this same walking of course, flows through the veins, so to speak, of those that are without Christ. Those that are dead in their trespasses and sins, what you once were, this is what's going on. They're continually walking in the course of this world. I want to show you a... uh, read to you a, uh, a commentary, if you will, of C.I. Schofield describing the world uh, in a summary. And he wrote this, mind you, way back in the, you know, the early 1900s, like 1900, 1901, something like that, way back. Listen to how he describes world. He says, uh, in the sense of the present world system, the ethically bad sense of the word refers to the order or arrangement under which Satan has organized the world of unbelieving mankind upon his cosmic principles of force, greed, selfishness, ambition, and pleasure. This world system is imposing and powerful with military might. It's often outwardly religious, scientific, cultured, and elegant. But in reality, it's seething with national and commercial rivalries and ambitions, and is upheld in any real crisis only by armed force, and it is dominated by satanic principles. It's dominated by satanic principles. Jesus put it this way in, in Luke, I think it's chapter 12, 13, I'm not too sure, but he, 
he put a parable where they say, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's the course of this world. And this course is the broad road that Jesus said leads to hell, and many are those that are on it. That's the course, brethren, that we were all on before Jesus Christ. Before. And so again, when you go to verse 1, and he and you, who he made alive, by the way, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And listen to what he says in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Do you know that before Jesus Christ, before we became Christians, we were children of wrath. We were heading for judgment. We were following the course of this world. We were going along our way, and we were headed for judgment. We had all kinds of sin ruling in our life. We have all kinds of ambition, greediness, selfishness, and this is how we walked. Listen to what the Apostle Paul describes it. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll just read it here. Starting verse 9, listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous, those without the righteousness of Christ, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or sexually immoral, neither idolaters or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, and some such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, and you, you read the first couple chapters, especially the first chapter of Romans, uh, the list there of, of what human nature uh, not only is capable of, but is, it's frightening. And we were all guilty before God. We were all in this category. And so you, he made alive, brethren. And that's with power, as we've seen. What were we saved from? You know, we look at the first three chapters of, of Romans, and we don't have time to delve into those today, but let me just read you some of the things. And by the way, the first chapter of Romans uh, is very, very uh, telling. For, you know, these people, they profess to be wise, but they became fools. Uh, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And what did Jesus say? I am the truth. You are dead in sin, and I am the truth. I am the life. And they're cha- exchanging that for a lie. God gave them up because they gave up natural function for the w- men and women. So they gave them up. He gave them up because of, of impure uh Immoral relations. He gave them up because of wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. They were full of envy. They were murder. They had strife in their life, deceit, evil mindedness, whisperers or gossipers, 
backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boastful, inventor of evil things. Listen to this, brethren. Disobedient to parents. We see that exponentially on the rise these last 25, 50 years. They were undiscerning. They were untrustworthy. They weren't loving. They were unforgiving and irreconcilable. They were unmerciful. And listen to this. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also give hearty approval of those who practice them. This is sin in rawest form. And that, my brethren, is is involved in the course of this world. Again, in verse 2, in which you once walked, you and I, according to this course, According to the, the, the principles, the satanic principles, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in disobedience. Verse 3, again, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We knew what we wanted. We fulfilled that. And by the way, that's the essence of humanism or say, Satanism. It's the fulfilling of all the lusts in your flesh. If you have these desires, fill them. We were fulfilling the desires of the mind, what we wanted, what we thought. And we're by nature children of wrath just as the others. Do you know that in the last part of when of the awful contents of what God finally gave human nature over to, it was because they did not re- feel it right to retain God in their knowledge. Brethren, that's the course of this world. And we were on it. We were all on it. Outside of Christ. Can you start to see what we were saved from? How we were helpless and above ourselves? And the love of God shown in Jesus Christ came down and he paid the price for that. Wow. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... We just talked about because of his great love with which he loved us. Mercy. That is the great door that opens the flood of grace that the grace of God has been flooded or lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. As I've often said, what I like is describing the grace of God is God giving himself to us freely in Jesus Christ. So verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. And let me let me tell you something, brethren. He loved us. When did he love us? You know, did he love us when we were just perfect and doing everything right and just, you know, being a lovable kind of people? No, it wasn't. If we go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I love this verse. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners or yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were not acknowledging him, when we are on the course that did not retain him even in our knowledge, going our own way, that's when Christ died. Verse 5, back in Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, reiterating what he said in verse 1 of chapter 2, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. 
God had mercy upon us. That mercy allowed God's grace to be lavished upon us because of His great love. Even when we were in trespasses and sin, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love it to go back to our famous verse in the first chapter, verse 13. Remember how we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, Having believed, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know, wow, it's hard to take all this in. Yes, it is. But we were sealed with the Spirit. And, And brethren, we just want to weave through all these truths as we slowly, methodically go through the book of Ephesians, tying the rest of the Bible together. Thinking about this Spirit, The Holy Spirit seals us. He regenerates us. He he causes the triumph of Christ to live his life through us. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this about the Spirit. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. Can you start to see the preciousness of being sealed? The preciousness of being made alive with Christ, even when we're dead under trespasses and sins, when we weren't giving God a second thought, going our own way, sinning and even relishing in it? Walking this course proudly and upholding it, Christ died for us. The gospel. The gospel is that Jesus on the cross was dying for the sins of the world, dying for our sins. And that three days later, he rose from the dead, having provided redemption for our sins. Having died to receive a new creation us to receive us unto himself or as peter says the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to god so back in our study in in ephesians 2 5 even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive together with him together with christ by grace you are saved that is absolutely wonderful does that not tie into our wonderful verse in John chapter 5, verse 24? Remember that verse? Have you memorized it yet? The Master says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, that's believing the word of the truth of the gospel, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. He made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. And look at verse 6. Why don't you underline this and and mark it however you can in your Bible. This is such a great verse. We alluded to this uh, last time, or maybe a couple times ago in our study, when we kind of jumped from uh, chapter 1 to chapter 2. But look at this verse, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. That is our position. 
We're not only saved by grace, verse 5, but He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. You know your position right now, friends? If someone were to come up to you and I, and I would ask you, what is your position right now? I hope you can triumphantly say, my position is in the heavenly places and seated with Christ. That's my position. I know that I'm going to be in heaven not only because God says so in his word, but I know that Jesus Christ is there now and my position's in him and I'm just waiting him for him to come and get me and take me there. But in the meantime, that's the second or that's the reason by the second half of this of this great epistle, our walk in that glorious position as we wait for Christ to come in and and take us away. As we wait, we want to know how to walk in that position, in that glorious position, which not only are we saved with power, brethren, but we have power here and now to walk this life triumphantly, not defeated day by day. We have a real enemy, and we'll get into that in coming uh, studies, and I can't wait. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. That is, that is just, sometimes you just have to soak it all in. And let me, let me tell you something. We are his inheritance as we've seen. Okay, remember there's, there's the fact that the Bible says in chapter 1 of Ephesians verse 11, remember, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. Remember? And then we go over to verse 18. It says that he, that Paul prays that our eyes would be of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know what the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Our inheritance is, is Christ and, and, and heaven and all the glories and the wonderments that follow. But we read, too, that we are God's inheritance. But keep that in mind and look at the next verse, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know that you are God's showcase? You are God's uh, exceedingly joy. He is going to, for all ages, all throughout eternity, that he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. We are we were dead in sin, we were headed for judgment, and for all eternity we are going to be the wonderment of all principality and powers and everything that's created. They're going to look at the at the at us who God has redeemed, brought back to himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the ages to come he's going to be able to show and demonstrate in this wonderful grace which he lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus is the last words in that verse 7. We are in Christ Jesus. And we are his exceeding joy. And for all eternity is going to see and wonder and fall down at our wonderful God because of the grace that has been poured out to save poor, miserable sinners like you and I. What does it mean to be a Christian? 
What it means to be a Christian is to have to all the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. All of the glories are ours. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Isn't that wonderful? And all this because he loved you and I. All this because he had mercy upon us. All this because he opened up his gate, if you will, of grace. That gate of mercy, I call that, his mercy was opened up, that his grace flowed out and lavishly landed upon us in Jesus Christ. You know, we've we've come to that wonderful verse, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, probably one of the well-known verses of the New Testament. But brethren, I would say that it's probably one of the least pondered upon and looked at for, for everything that has gone before it. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The gift of God. We see that. You know, one of the, one of the great uh, tools that my pastor years ago have taught me to talk to people and that's part of what they call the Romans Road, is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. A wonderful verse explaining exactly what we have in Christ. Look at, look at verse 23. If you're there in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the gift of God. So back in our, in our, in our passage Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Some even go so far as to say that faith is a gift of God. I believe it. But what we need to see now, we have been saved by God's grace. It is the gift of God. We'll get back into this. Look at verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace. By grace we have been saved. By grace we are walking through this life and the power of God and the keeping of God. And it's by grace that we will enter our position once and for all with our redeemed bodies enjoying Christ forever. We can't boast. There will be no boasting in heaven. There is no boasting of anything regarding our salvation. We have been saved by grace through faith. Faith is the avenue that God allows us to have that 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 can receive this grace, can receive this forgiveness, that we can we can receive the wonderments of our salvation. It's a gift. That's the avenue that God uses. Jesus, I loved it when he said to Mark, he says, have faith in God. It's, and faith is the avenue that we grab a hold of this grace that saves us. Listen to Paul, what he says in, in Romans five seventeen. He says, for if by one man's sin, death reigned through the one, talking about Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will receive, will, excuse me, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. It's the receiving of it. We're saved by grace, through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You know, when back in Cain and Eva, when, when, when Cain brought something of his own works, with, of the fruit of his hands, probably some of his nice vegetables, whatever, he was rejected because God has his way to himself. You know, remember John fourteen six. Jesus says it plainly, I am the way. You want to know the way to God? You want to know the way that God has for, I don't care how much of a sinner one is, we're all guilty of sin. We come to God in his way. So back to Cain and Abel, Cain came to something of his own way, the fruit of his own hands, his own doing, and it was rejected because he didn't come to God in God's way. And yet Abel came to God through sacrifice. God instituted a way to himself, and that's through an innocent substitute. And Abel offered the first uh, fruits of his, of his flock, uh, probably a lamb, and offered it to God, shedding of blood. And God accepted it because an innocent substitute was offered. And and as we see, verse 8 is, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Cain came of his own way, and that is religion today. All false religion, all religion uh, other, than coming, other than genuine Christianity has its way back to Cain. It's coming to God in our own way, coming to God in something of ourselves. And we'll see that in verse 9, how that is false. That's why Cain and false religion and the religions of the world, apart from biblical Christianity, must be false because they come to God in something of their own way and they will be rejected. God will only be approached His way and that is through an innocent substitute, the shedding of blood, so to speak, on our behalf. And that's why the Bible says that even though Abel is dead, yet he still speaks because of that wonderful sacrifice way back in the early chapters of Genesis, we see that this is to be so. It runs the gamut all the way through the Word of God. That's why the Word of God is complete from Genesis to Revelation. It's a complete revelation of God and how to come to Him in His way. Well, look at verse 9. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. That's what works do. They allow one to boast. I've done a good job. I've done this. I've done that. But we cannot have such boasting. And we see here in these, in these 8, 9, and 10 verses the logical way of salvation. This is the logical way of the Christian life. So verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, it's the gifts of God. Not of works of any man should boast. Look at verse 10. For we are now his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, brethren, let's go back real quick to chapter 1, verse 4. Remember how when we talked about that verse, I said there's so many people that are tripped up over that. There's a lot of Calvinists that use that and say, see, we've been chosen in God. There's nothing we can do. And they take that verse out of context and it's a stumbling block for for a lot of people. But again, back in chapter uh, 1, verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and 
and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons. Okay? He chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us according to the good pleasure of his will. But we should be blameless. We should walk in love and, and produce that fruit uh, of a life that, that he predestined for us. Remember we talked about the word predestined, how he marked out before him the life of those in Christ, that they should be uh, marvels and testimonies of his wonderful grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when, uh, back in John, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and the Bible says that that not only uh, were they after Jesus to kill him, the religious people, the Pharisees, but now they were after Lazarus because he bore testimony to Christ. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and he bore testimony to Christ, and they want to kill him. We've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves, it's God's gift, Verse 9, not of any works that anyone has to boast. And now he's saying, we are his workmanship now. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So here's the logical sequence. We're saved by grace. We're given a position. We're saved in Jesus Christ, secure in the heavenlies. Salvation, once we have it, we are safe and secure. We will go throughout this study, probably going to different passages on off that will, that shows that we're not on probation. The genuine one in Christ is should have no fear of losing a salvation that God has bought for him. He has been sealed. That's part of that sealing is great assurance. So we've been saved. We're forgiven of all of our sins. We are saved. We're his possession. And then the good works follow. This is the, the, the sequence of events between Paul's writings and his doctrine of being saved by grace versus the book of James, where he says that faith without works is dead, much like the body without the spirit is dead. There are an absolute agreement. One is from being justified from God's point of view, and the other, James, is the evidence to, to unsaved men of a changed life. How do men know that Christ lived? How do men know that we've been changed by our changed life, by the, by the fruit that comes out of it? And so we see that this Christian life is to be enjoyed, not endured. You know, there's so many people that say, well, I've tried this Jesus thing, and, and, and it just doesn't work. You know, I've given it a shot for four or five days or a week or whatever. It just doesn't work. It's too hard. It is not hard, my friends. It is impossible to live the Christian life on our own. A dead man has no power. A dead man is dead. Dead like a dead tree. I remember when we lived back in Oregon, and we had a tree out in the middle of our yard that had become dead. Uh, and this tree was dead from the roots up. The leaves were dead. Everything was dead. The tree had no power to produce any fruit. The tree had no power to produce any leaves. But a born again from the dead, one who's been made alive, who was once dead and trespasses in sin, has the sap, if you will, the life 
of the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit living in him, and that sap produces fruit. But he cannot produce fruit unless that tree is alive. And that's exactly the sequence we're looking at here. It is absolutely wonderful that when, when we look at the Christian life and we see that it is God from start to finish. Remember our famous verse in Philippians 1.6. I hope you mark this down. Paul says, I'm confident. <laughs> I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And friends, before we leave today, uh, I just wanted to add on another verse that we can mark down, look at it, and uh, and really think about as we go through this, this wonderful life. Um, it's in Colossians. And it's easy to, to remember because as Philippians 1.6, that Paul's confident of this very thing, that he began a good work in you, will complete all the day of Christ. This next one is Colossians 1, verse 6. Listen to this. He's talking about the truth of the gospel, and it says, which has come to you as it has in all the world, and it is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew or understood the grace of God in truth. You see that? The fruit starts coming when we've been a recipient of God's grace and we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Now the life that God has predestined for us is before us and we walk in the works and the good works that he has prepared beforehand. And that is an endless energy we are recipients. What being born again is, and I'll, I'll end with this here. Brethren, the being born again is the recipient of the eternal life that was past and the eternal life that is future. And we are the recipients of that life when we are born again. And the recipients of that life starts producing wonderful works, wonderful uh, fruit, if you will. And if we had time, we would go into But look at what, read uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And just see in there how Jesus talks about fruit, bearing fruit that remains. Bearing fruit when we remain in him. You know, he is the vine, we are the branches. But this has all been created since the cross. When we come to Christ and we are, we are born again, we receive him as our Savior, we are the recipients of, of eternal life in him, then starts that wonderful walk, as we'll see in chapters 3, 4, and 5, of this life that's been infused in us. We are new, we are brand new in Christ Jesus. Wow. Once you see a man or woman of God and they impart to you this life, and you see this life lived in somebody else as an example, you will never forget it. I had the wonderful example of my pastor, and I still do. I remember the first couple times of going and, and listening to him. And uh, my sister had, had introduced me to him, and, and walking down and, and not only listening to his message, but seeing uh not only in his eyes, but the, the love of Christ in him. I remember vividly my friends thinking, if this is what a Christian is, this is what I want to be. It is a powerful life. It's a life to be enjoyed and not to endure. But these good works uh, are created uh, by God himself. They were created and prepared before him that we should walk in them. 
I've had a wonderful time here today, friends, and I, I, I'm so glad that you could be here. I hope these truths are, are an excitement to you. I hope that some of them are, are, are understanding of what you already knew, but I hope that some of them maybe are fresh and that you could, you could take them back and God could use them to. We need to get excited. We need to get excited about this Christian life. Uh, some people walk around as like they just chugged a, a bottle of, uh, you know, orange, you know, or lemon juice, you know. And this life is to be enjoyed. It's to be uh, reverenced and guarded and, and, and walked in close scrutiny. I want to end with this uh, in Philippians. Paul says an amazing thing in, in Philippians chapter 3. And if you know where, where I'm going, uh, that's great. This is another one we need to ponder and look at. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to end here. He says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul was exceedingly joyful. Jesus talked a lot about joy, that his joy might be in us, that our joy might be full. Paul was walking in joy despite his circumstances. He admonishes us in Philippians 4 to remain steadfast in the Lord, to rejoice always in the Lord. And now we can start seeing that it is a powerful life that God wants to use to his glory. So we ended in verse 10 today, brethren. We'll pick it up next time in verse 11. And we'll just go through methodically through these wonderful chapters. And I pray that it's been such an enrichment to you. I know it has been to me. And I pray that this week, as we ponder these truths, that God would give you joy unspeakable and full of glory, as the Apostle Peter says. So I just ask, till next time, that you would just rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I love you all, brethren. Bye-bye.